You're listening to the Greatest Multifamily Investment Advice Show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the Greatest Multifamily Advice Show. Today we have Brian Burke, an exceptional guest with more than 20 years experience on multifamily leader on the real estate market, marketing mogul, uh, one of the main uh, keynote speaker on on uh, bigger pockets. Uh, please help us to welcome our guest today. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me here. Thanks so much for being us with, with us today and taking the time. And I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. So uh, I would like to start with your background from single family to multifamily and all of the commercial uh, spaces. Can you tell me what was the beginning for you? Well, the beginning for me was back in the late 1980s when I made my first real estate investment. It was a single family rental property that I purchased. I didn't even own my own home yet. And I was only like, I don't know, 20 years old and really didn't even know what I was doing, but figured that, uh, you know, most millionaires were made in real estate and I wanted, I wanted my part of that. So I thought I'd give it a shot. And, you know, 30, you know, three years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. So somewhere along the line, something went right. So, um, what was the actual uh, upside for you to go from as uh, a single family to multifamily and then realize, okay, I have to divert my portfolio to different commercial spaces. What was the upside for you for this? Yeah, well, I've, I've been flipping houses was my main business and I was doing that for several years and I was, uh, you know, buying houses, fixing up and reselling them. And then every once in a while, I'd keep one. And rent it out. And then after a while, they'd gone up in value a little bit. And I thought, you know, I should try apartment buildings because I've never really gotten into that space. So about 20 years ago, I sold a couple of my single family properties and did a 1031 exchange into a 16 unit apartment complex. And uh, that was my, uh, my first experience in the multifamily world. I didn't even know really much about it, but I, I learned really, really quickly because uh, you know, that's what happens when you jump into the fire uh, feet first. So it was a really awesome learning experience. Over the years, I, I did it a few more times, kind of in a similar way, just buying smaller multifamily. Uh, and then uh, finally realized uh, it was about 15 years or so ago that, uh, you know, larger multifamily properties was really the future of our, our business. And we had built a great business on the house flipping side, we'd, we'd done about, I don't know, six or 700 homes by that point. And uh, we had a lot of investors that were looking for opportunities to invest in. And, uh, you know, the single family for <clears throat> single family foreclosures were kind of going away, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, that was a, a big thing when the economy collapsed. It wasn't such a big thing about five years later. And mm -hmm. we knew if we wanted to be able to, you know, keep these investors and have a place for them to put their funds uh, we'd need to get into something more scalable and something more sustainable and multifamily um, really rung both of those bells. So uh, right now, what is your focus? It's focused more on the Southeast or all over the States? Yeah, our focus is mostly in the Southeastern U.S. I and mean, we own all the way from Arizona to Florida and kind of everything in between. Uh, but we're really primarily focused in those southern states. We, we uh, don't own anything in California anymore, even though we're based here. Mm. Uh, and we're not really doing anything, you know, kind of uh, north of uh, Nevada either. So far, we're kind of sticking to the, the southern uh, latitudes, and, and that's been working out pretty well for us. I think that the big winner on the last two series because of the COVID 
with the Southeast. And the, the main thing of this is the market fundamental, especially the net immigration and um, the easy, the less taxes on the South states, the, the overall lifestyle and on, on the Republican state especially. But my question is, how you see the long-term market fundamental on the Southeast? You think it's going to maintain the same performance or uh, potentially everything is going to get to the previous uh, status when everyone get back to the North states? Yeah, I, I think that... Um it's it's not going to produce the same performance. I mean, what we've seen in the last uh, 24 months has been uh, rampant rent growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, about six months after uh, COVID shut the world down, we'd seen nothing but massive rent growth, um, especially in the southeastern U.S. and yeah. and southwestern U.S. as well. In, in terms of like Arizona, uh, Las Vegas, Albuquerque, you know, a lot of these markets have seen massive rent growth. And this has been primarily due to population movement and you know demographic shifts where people are leaving states like California and going to states like Arizona, Texas, Georgia, Florida, you know, leaving New York and going to Florida and Atlanta and you know, kind of some of those eastern markets, Carolinas. Yeah. Uh, so they've they've just benefited from massive population movement, and that's created incredibly strong rent growth. You know, in, in some cases, over twenty percent annualized yeah. rent growth, and it's yeah. been it's been um, you know just massive. But do I think that's going to continue into eternity? No. Uh, you know, inflation has taken a grip on people's uh, surplus income, mm. and you know now you know, gas is higher, food is higher. I mean, pretty much everything anybody wants to buy is higher. And those, those other items are now competing for people's disposable dollars. So rent isn't the only one there to grab it. Hmm. Uh, what that ultimately means is people can't afford these rent increases anymore. And there becomes just a tolerance limit. And I think it's not going to be long before we see that. And that's going to slow rent growth uh, dramatically in, in even really good markets. Mm -hmm. But it could be even worse in some of the bad markets and, you know, markets where people were moving from. Uh, I don't think there's going to be an influx of people moving back there. You know, mm -hmm. there was a, a lot of people that moved from, you know, California to Phoenix, but you're not hearing of them coming back a year or two later. I mean, they're mm -hmm. putting down roots and staying there. So I think that. Those markets that are, have performed very well over the last couple of years are going to continue to perform well. They're not going to do what they did, uh, but they're going to probably be a better place to invest than uh, markets that haven't done well over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I want to ask something of uh, the, this question, which is basically, uh, you mentioned that you're over all of the sound states. Can you tell me the secret sauce for you to start to work on different states with different teams, especially, I don't think you have uh, boots on the ground on all of that. What was the main secret for you to able to work on different states with different teams? Well, for us, it was really just about having the infrastructure there to do it. And uh, it's not something that you can, uh, you know, one person by themselves can run a multifamily mm -hmm. operation all across the country. Uh, and that's certainly, that was, that was my avatar, you know, six or seven years ago, it was me. And, you know, I had one partner and, you know, we were trying to grow and we grew down into Texas and my partner ended up moving to Texas. So we actually had a physical presence there, hmm. but to expand outside of the markets where we had a physical presence, I was finding extraordinarily difficult. Hmm. Uh, just through stroke of luck, I ended up 
uh, getting connected with uh, uh, my now partners, but at the time they were uh, just uh, friends of friends uh, mm -hmm. that were in the industry and were looking for a new opportunity. And, and they ultimately ended up joining uh, Praxis. And mm -hmm. the, these, these three guys brought with them 100,000 units of multifamily experience because they worked for like all of the you know, household name, large private equity national shops and they had a lot of experience running national portfolios. That was the catalyst that allowed me to expand this business to where we could become more of a national player was because now we had people experienced in running portfolios across the country, had resources on the ground in markets all across the country, had experience in markets all across the country, and were able to build our team where we actually do have physical presence uh, in, in our markets. So, uh, you know, it's not one where you can just kind of land in there and all of a sudden get going. It really does. It takes um, it takes time and it takes skill and it takes somebody with experience doing it in order to, uh, you know, make it happen. I think this is really important to understand the actual benefit of active or active partnership or having another sponsor, because this is a team sport like you need to understand you cannot actually expand even with the experience even if you have money even you have the connection but it is what it is you have to have an actual team to work with you on this an acquisition deposition um, investor relationship it, it, it is it's hard to work with yourself even if you have all of this aspect and you're good on all of this aspect yeah, I did that for a decade and it yeah. didn't really get me very far you know I, yeah. I had uh, you know flipped a lot of houses but you know it was it was never really a, a extraordinarily profitable business. It made a, I made a living at it. It wasn't yeah. until I realized the value of really well-placed strategic partnerships yeah. uh, that this business really took off and got legs. I mean, that's, it's the most important thing is, uh, is having the right team. Yeah. But when you mentioned the right team, what was uh, basically what you're looking for when you started to, to grow in a partnership? I, I don't think you're looking for someone exactly like you. You need something different than your skill set. Well, you know, when I when I had some of my early partners, that was exactly what I looked for. I looked for myself. If I could look in the mirror and see me, you're my partner, right? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. that that didn't really do a lot of good because uh, oh, okay. I, I didn't yeah. need two of myself. I needed somebody that wasn't me that could fill in the yeah. gaps that that, uh, that I didn't want to, or couldn't fill myself. And so you're absolutely right, Adam. I mean, you have to find partners that complement you and bring a skill set, uh, that adds value, you know, bringing yourself to the table, uh, doesn't add any value. It just duplicates what you already have. It doesn't yeah. actually cause you to grow. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump to another subject is always, I hear it that with my investor as what is, make me different than REITs? And always, this is an interesting question. How you handle uh, investors' um, objection to compare to use the REITs and the fund managers and so on? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a totally different animal. You know, REITs are bound by very specific uh, investment guidelines are also generally publicly traded or at least privately traded. And, and by virtue of their uh, trading on the on the broader markets, they have a stronger correlation to the overall equities markets. So mm. when the stock market goes down, REITs can take a beating. Uh, mm. But at the same time, private real estate could do very, very well. So 
Uh, REITs are fine for people to add to their portfolio. I don't discourage people from investing in REITs if they feel that they want to have that as part of their portfolio. Hmm. But you know what private real estate offers is non-correlation or at least less correlation to the broader markets than they're going to find in the public REIT sector. And if, if that's what you're looking for uh, is to have some diversification uh, against public markets, which is what alternative investing really is, uh, then you're only going to find that in private real estate. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, my next question about the actual recession we have as advantage player on the market now with your team and your partners, how you see the current recession and if there's any um, similar indication to the same fundamental of, uh, of the recession lead to the same 2008 scenario or not? including uh, job market and market growth. Yeah, every 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 um, recession looks different. And you know, we're we're certainly no one has said that we're in a recession yet. There's a lot of opinions that we are heading towards one and we may or may not. No one really knows for sure. We're only, we'll, unfortunately we only really know after the fact. Uh, but what what we do know is what we can see and observe real time what's happening in real estate, right? When you're when your residents start saying I can't afford that $25 rent increase or you know, you're getting more move outs than move ins. I mean, those are kind of your first indications as a real estate owner, you know, that there could be some you know, rocky roads ahead. And so we have to pay attention very closely to those kinds of anecdotal things. Um, but every like quote unquote recession as called by the people who call that, whoever the heck they are, uh, they all look different. You know, I remember the uh, 2000.com bubble, you know, 22 years ago, that didn't affect real estate at all, none, zero whatsoever. I mean, mm -hmm. I was buying, flipping, reselling houses, renting houses. I didn't feel anything when the dot-com bubble happened, but they mm -hmm. called it a major recession. Uh, contrast that to 2008, this was a recession that was caused by trouble in the real estate market. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, real estate took the hardest hit of everything. Yep. You know, houses fell 50, 60%. Rents were dropping, occupancies were falling, you know, it was a total bloodbath in real estate. And, and so, you know, it really depends on what caused it. Uh, you know, right now, the, if there is a recession that's coming, it's probably caused by uh, uh, inflation and mm -hmm. interest rate fluctuation, not necessarily real estate. So mm -hmm. uh, it probably will look different from any of the past, uh, mm -hmm. recent past uh, recession. So I think it's going to have some impact on real estate, but <clears throat> it's not going to look like 2008 again. If you're waiting for prices to fall by 50 or 60%, oh. I think you're going to get disappointed. Yeah, but the impact right now, I think it's uh, the interest rate and uh, the actual uh, inflation on the, the selling point of view from the seller's, seller's point of view. So, so there is an actual back and forth between seller and, 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 uh, and buyer right now waiting to to the market to settle down a little bit i think on the next three four months until i think november coming but no one has crystal ball as i think <laughs> so uh yeah we're, we're waiting for uh the cooling uh cool, cooling the, uh, the market to cool down a little bit i think so yeah there's a little bit of a standoff right now yeah. uh where you know sellers you know they might want to sell but they think now might not be the right time so some yeah. sellers might be holding off uh, some sellers might be thinking their property is still worth the price it was worth six months ago because yeah. there has been a decline. Uh, now, I don't think that decline is material year over year. I mean, if you were to compare today's prices to, say, 
you know, March or April or May of 2021, yeah, they might not be down that much. Uh, maybe yeah. slightly, maybe not at all. But compared to where they were in January of 2022, there was a massive increase in prices in the fourth quarter of 2021 yeah. that went into the first quarter of 2022, where people were paying what I call an emotional premium for real estate. And this was, I've got to get in. There's a fear of missing out. There's a ton of money chasing not many deals. Uh, you know, anytime you put a multifamily property on the market, you're getting two dozen offers all way over the pricing guidance. Uh, those days are over. And, you know, now we're, we're not seeing any of that happen. And prices have fallen precipitously from where they were uh, in January and February of 2022, maybe even arguably March. And, uh, you know, that's that's obviously caused, uh, you know, some buyers to uh take a wait and see approach. It's caused some sellers to be maybe in disbelief and think they should still get the same old price. Mm. And so there is a little bit of a standoff right now while people wait to try to figure out exactly what's happening. Yeah, uh, I, I think um, this is, makes sense now because we have the similar situation when we able to like little bit negotiate the price with a, with a seller. It was a deal already in Atlanta and we managed to uh, convince the sellers that even if you didn't get what we're offering, where you can find uh, this price again. Yeah, so I agree on, on, on this, on, on the market right now. Um, my next question is different now, is about your uh, model. Where do you actually like on, on your business model? Do you prefer the syndication model or the fund model? Uh, I, I like both, but we've we've migrated to a fund model. Uh, just, you know, we our biggest problem was on our syndication model, all of our deals were you know, way over subscribing. Hmm. Uh, we would fill them up in hours and then people were like, you know, Hey, I want to get in. And it's like, Oh, too late. You know, it's already closed. And they're like, but I just, I just got a chance to read my email. It just came yesterday. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, uh, we moved to a fund model, which allowed us to just raise as much money as we could raise and then buy as much real estate as we could buy with the money that we could raise. Uh, and that's that's worked out really well for us. It put us in a better position as a buyer because uh, sellers had more certainty we could execute because we already had the equity committed. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was certainly uh, our model. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's the right one. It's just what happened happened to work for us. I, I don't think that the fund model works well for newer sponsors. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of new people are like, oh, I've never done this before. I'm going to go raise a big fund and just go out and buy real estate. Uh, that's probably going to be challenging. I mean, it, it would have been challenging a year ago and it'd probably be impossible today. Yeah. Uh, so I think people just have to set their expectations uh, correctly and realize that, you know, fund uh, is a little bit of more of an advanced strategy and you got to have a good track record under your belt to move to a fund model. So in your opinion, what is the major upside for the passive investors to look on the fund model, especially how they can actually... Um, mitigate the risk on the fund model? Diversification, it really is the biggest mm -hmm. advantage to the investor. They can, they can make one investment and with that one investment own multiple assets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've always been a strong advocate of trying to minimize single points of failure. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means, you know, for the passive investor, uh, that, that could mean investing in a variety of uh, real estate product types, like maybe you might invest some self-storage, some mobile home parks, some uh, multifamily, some 
uh, industrial, commercial, you know, diversify across your portfolio with different product types. Also diversify geographically, you know, don't concentrate all of your uh, holdings, even passive ones all in one area, mm. spread that out a little bit. And also don't invest all your money with one sponsor. Uh, you know, find multiple sponsors and invest your money across different sponsors. And by doing that, you eliminate or minimize single points of failure. And that's kind of what guarantees your long-term success in this business. Cause there's always a story out there somewhere of some sort of failure. It's either the, Oh, I invested in this deal. And then the market in that area collapsed and I lost my money or it's uh, you know, multifamily wasn't doing so well when I got in. And so I lost my money or I invested all my life savings with one sponsor. And he turned out to be a crook, stole all my money and fled to the Bahamas. And now I can't get any of it back. So, you know, by, by diversifying across all those different ways, you can minimize your exposure to single points of failure as a, as a passive investor. Let's jump to your book. Can we speak a little bit about your book? Um, it's one of the famous books on the, the market. I think it was with uh, Bigger Pockets. It was a joint venture. I think so. Yeah, they were the publisher. Uh, the book, The Hands-Off Investor, uh, it's an insider's guide to investing in passive real estate syndications published uh, by Bigger Pockets Publishing. Yeah, it was the two, I think, two, uh, two uh, parts. It's about uh, multifamily, correct? Well, it's kind of about multifamily, but <clears throat> really what it's about is it's about how to uh, successfully invest as a passive investor. In other words, like how to, uh, you know, do your homework on yeah. syndication sponsors, uh, how to uh, try not, how, how to not get taken for a ride, how not to lose all your money, uh, all those things that you want to know before you start writing checks to a syndication sponsor or fund sponsor. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll want to check out this book. I mean, it also talks a lot about uh, commercial property underwriting, multifamily mm. underwriting. So there's certainly a lot of focus in the book on the numbers behind uh, these projects and how to, uh, you know, make a, a decision as to whether or not the numbers are being presented to you are, are reasonable. My next question will be the funny question or the fun question here is how you describe your superpower. Uh, I think that's a that's a really really good question. I, I think my superpower has been in uh, in avoiding uh, as much market pain as possible, and kind of market timing has actually been pretty good to me. I, I've uh, it's interesting how you know I, I kind of stopped buying real estate a few a couple of years before the two thousand eight real estate collapse. Mm. And then I started again in 09 when everybody said I was absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, we really went into it hard in 09 and uh, managed to uh, do very, very well as a result. Uh, mm. And then, uh, you know, we, I bought a portfolio of, you know, 120 single family homes, one at a time, it wasn't really a portfolio, yeah. but bought those like, you know, 2009, 10, 11, and then sold them for like two and a half times the price. And, you know, 14, mm -hmm. 15, 16, after the single family market kind of ramped up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was good timing. And then uh, uh, we bought about 4,000 multifamily units. 
I sold, I think about 2000 or so units over the last you know year and a half at what I would call the peak of the multifamily good real estate again. market. Yeah, good Pretty good again. timing. <laughs> and then uh, <clears throat> I saw this collapse happening. This I don't want to call it a collapse, but this little market reset happening hmm. uh, earlier this year and managed to get a couple of properties into contract uh, to new buyers right before everything started to tumble. So uh, I think um, I think I've done pretty well at avoiding kind of the worst of the market collapses and taking advantage of some of the best of the market uh, upswings. So that's that's been pretty cool. I think basically good reader for the market performance and fundamentals. Yeah, and and, and a lot of gut feel. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, my last question would be how the people can follow your success and your company and um, the podcast too. Yeah, so uh, best ways uh, to follow what I'm doing here is uh, you can check out our, our company's website. Uh, it's Praxis Capital. The website is praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Investor Brian Burke. <clears throat> you can uh, check out the book, uh, The Hands-Off Investor at biggerpockets.com forward slash syndication book, or you can get it on Amazon or bookstores and uh, and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, you can also find me uh, on bigger pockets on the forums, just answering questions or, you know, check out the blog article for the bigger pockets. As blog. usual, you're really great help for all of the new newbies on this market. So again, thanks a lot for being with us today. And we're really happy to bring you again to the show whenever you have time to give us more about update about the market, about your knowledge and your success. Thanks for having me here, Adam. It's been fun. Thank you a lot, Brian.